Coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with from Adels, Paris Laurie, Geelong's Julia Crocker Grills, Adelaide's Ailish Considine, plus Ali Schiller's back with her Sanford Women's Report and Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast by going to Google Podcasts, iTunes or SoundCloud and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Now finals football is here in the AFL Women's Competition and unlike previous years where we just had the grand final, it is now... Two preliminary finals before we progress to the grand final. We've got on Sunday the Adelaide Crows hosting the Geelong Cats at the Adelaide Oval. And on Saturday afternoon, Carlton is playing host to the Fremantle Dockers at Princess Park. We're going to look at that game first in a few minutes' time with Fremantle Ruck Paris Laurie. But first, here's the latest AFLW news. First to the good news and the round seven and final nominees for the 2019 NAB AFL Women's Rising Star Award, Collingwood's Jordan Allen and the GWS Giants' Hanin Zarika. The AFL Coaches Association have awarded their AFLW Champion Player of the Year and it was no surprise to anyone that was Erin Phillips. She's been having a sensational season for the Adelaide Crows and she takes out that award with 51 votes ahead of Fremantle's tackling machine in Kiara Bowers. Will Erin Phillips take out the clean sweep? There is still the AFL Player Association MVP to come and of course the W Awards which are held uh, several days after the grand final. Let's turn to the tribunal and uh, with the match review officer, uh, three players have accepted reprimands uh, from the final home and away round. That includes Lion Brianna Cohen. Uh, she was charged with making careless contact with an umpire. Collingwood midfielder Brittany Benici uh, took an early guilty plea for rough conduct against Brisbane's Lauren Arnell and GWS defender Ali Brush uh, was charged with rough conduct against Geelong's Mia Ray Clifford. Again, they all got a reprimand. And in injury news, it appears that Phoebe McWilliams will not be playing in the preliminary final for the Cats against the Crows as she is going under surgery on a broken left hand. That's your latest AFLW news. This Saturday afternoon at Princess Park sees the first of two AFL women's preliminary finals when the top of Conference B, Carlton, play host to the second-place Conference A side in the Fremantle Dockers for the right to play off in next Sunday's AFL women's grand final. And joining us on the line is a woman who captained Claremont in the WAWFL last year, was taken as pick 49 in the AFLW draft by the Fremantle Dockers, has been having a terrific season. It's our privilege to have on the line Paris Laurie. Paris, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad at all. I want to flash back to this weekend, that big game against North Melbourne at Fremantle Oval. Can you give us an insight to how to you, and more importantly, the team was feeling going into this pressure cooker game where if you win, you're in. If you lose, that's the season. Yeah, definitely a lot of pressure on the game, but I think we've had a few of those uh, leading into um, the game just been. So each game we've had really has been a, um, a pretty um, precious game. And if we had have lost, it would have put us in a bad situation. But, um, yeah, it was super excited, exciting to come out with a win. 
and a pretty comprehensive victory as well, which no doubt will boost the morale as you head into this uh, Saturday, taking on Carlton, albeit on the road, taking them on at Princess Park. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, good to get high scoring on the weekend and, um, yeah, get the forward line up and about. So, yeah, it's really good going into um, the first yeah game of the finals. We'll come back to the AFLW in a moment, but let's step back through time. For yourself, Paris, when did you first pick up the footy? Um, I've got three older brothers, so always um, had a footy in hand when I was growing up, but uh, basketball was always my main sport. Um, up until 2016, I made the change to play footy sort of competitively, consistently. Now, we should say with basketball, we shouldn't say it flippantly, of course, because I believe you actually went to a school that specialised in basketball and you actually played state league basketball in WA. Yeah, that's right. I went to Denmark High School, which is a specialised basketball program there, and then I uh, came up and played state and then uh, competed in um, the SBL uh, league in um, Perth. The earliest WAWFL records that we have of you, of course, was playing at the uh, Peel Thunderbirds. You only played about seven games. You were on and off uh, where you played in the reserves and the league. Um, who got you down to the Peel Thunderbirds at that stage? And was footy just seen as just a friendly kick in the park for you back then? Yeah, so I was playing basketball at the same time and a friend of mine was playing down at Peel and um, was loving it. So I thought I'd go down for a few games, but it clashed quite often with basketball. So um, whether I could make it for the reserves game or um, whether I could make it at all. And so then I ended up sticking with basketball and not continuing on with the footy. I believe there was also a period in 2015 you started to experiment with other sports. If I read correctly, you gave netball a go at that stage, obviously because of your height. But I believe you also picked up Gaelic football. Yeah, once again, um, a few friends were trying it out and... um, I'd, I'd uh, had enough of basketball, so wanted to try a few new things. So I went down to Gaelic and I had a blast, actually. If I um, hadn't have loved footy so much, I would still be playing. We hear it from the Irish point of view, so it would be interesting to hear it from an Australian point of view. What are the skills that you learnt picking up in Gaelic football that you thought transferred well over to when you eventually took Aussie rules seriously? Yeah, so um, even like catching, marking the footy and um, marking the ball in Gaelic, obviously very similar, um, running with the ball. But also when you're running with the ball, you have to sort of, um, I forget what it's called, but you have to kick it up to yourself in order to keep taking steps. Otherwise, you've run too far. So a lot of different skills um, play into it. But I guess really the main difference is just the contact and um, the uh, shape of the ball. You played two games with Swan Districts in their reserve side in 2016 until you switched to Claremont in 2017. Was it a case of a family thing, wanting to go and play with the Claremont Tigers who were stepping up to league level in the WAWFL, noting that your brother Jesse had played with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to go and play when my brother played. And, um, yeah, I just that was the purely the reason that I um, walked to Claremont and um, haven't looked back. I love it there. So as you said, you went across because your brother was there. So what did it mean for you to be named as a captain of a Claremont side in 2018? Yeah, that was massive for me. Um, it was only my, uh, I was going to my second year there. Um, but I think it's just a, a really great culture down there and to um, be around the club with the girls that I play with, but then also have my brother down there and we both wear number 25 so it's pretty special to be down there and then yeah to be named captain and he's in the leadership group as well um so yeah massive family connection down there so it's really good 
Over the last two years, you finished fourth and sixth, respectively. Do you think that's an impressive performance for the Tigers and the WAWFL? When you consider you don't really have the big names in your squad, unlike the Swan Districts, the former Coastal Titans, now Subiaco and East Fremantle. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, where we've come from and to where we are now, we've definitely um, improved a lot and it's only going to get better from here. But yeah, we um, definitely don't have the, um, I guess, the AFL numbers that some of the other teams do, but um, I'm sure we'll have girls being drafted in the future and um, that'll start to even out. But um, no, we've definitely got some good talent down there, but um, I guess it just hasn't been recognised as much as the other teams have so far. You were taken as pick 49 in the AFLW draft by the Fremantle Dockers. At what stage did you have an inkling that Fremantle were keen to sign you? Yeah, so I went through their uh, academy process and um, I knew that they were in need of a um, ruck with um, Alicia Jans being injured. Um, so I had my chance there and then there was a few of us um, obviously competing for that spot. Um, but I think uh, I actually really didn't know until the day I got drafted. I um, definitely had high hopes the night before, but um, yeah, I didn't really know until my name got called. And how have you felt coming up against the giants of the competition? Uh, like, for example, Erin Hoare down at Geelong and uh, Emma King at North Melbourne, when you've had to go head-to-head with them, being an undersized rock at 5'10". Yeah, it's definitely weird to um, feel small. Um, definitely day-to-day life, I don't feel that short. But out there on the footy field, um, I can definitely feel it. Um, but it's been a great challenge, and I've learned so much from each different ruck that I've played on and um, that I can bring into my own game. So that's been great. And, um, yeah, I think it's just made me work on other areas of my game to sort of make up for, I guess, not doing so well in the hit-out. You've got a new coach at Fremantle this year. Um, you weren't under the Michelle Cowan era. You've been solely now under the Trent Cooper era. Uh, speaking to the players that have been involved with the club over the last couple of years, what do you think Trent's made work for this form reversal and having the side playing finals football? Um, yeah, I can't really say what it was like um, in the past years, but I think this year he's just really uh, done a great job of bringing all the girls together and um, it's a really good atmosphere down there at the club and everyone really works together and supports one another and really enjoying their footy um, with a bit of freedom as well. So I think that's um, made a massive, I guess, difference for us. But yeah, I can't really say what the difference is as I wasn't there the year before, but I think that's really helped us. Pardon the pun, but is it safe to say that uh, Fremantle's performance has been turbocharged with Kiara Bowers uh, being in full fitness, which, of course, she she wasn't over the first two seasons, and she's essentially been ripping up the competition? Yeah, uh, Turbo is uh, an absolute gun, and she's definitely makes an impact every single game, not only by what she does and her pressure acts and everything like that, but it just really gets team morale up and about. So, um yeah, she's massive on and off the field for us and she's, she definitely plays a huge role in the success we've had this year. Can you give us an insight to the captaincy, being under Cara Donnellan? Yeah, um, this is my first time um, having or playing with Cara, but she's been fantastic. She's a great leader. Once again, on and off the field, has a huge impact and just um, has really good game knowledge, but also just gets the message across uh, quite well. So um, she's got a teaching background and, um, yeah, so you can really tell that 
she knows how to sort of communicate with people and whatnot. And uh, she's just a great connection between us and the coaches. And yeah, it does a job really well, but also a great player. Speaking of a teaching background, you're a school teacher yourself. How have you been juggling the commitments of a full-time job along with playing AFLW? Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely been a hectic uh, couple of months. Um, first full-time job and then playing footy as well. All happening at the same time has been hectic, but um, I love both of them, so it's made it fine and um, easy enough to get on with. But, yeah, it's just a busy life at the moment. I've been doing some Googling around because I always try to love to find something quirky when it comes to our players, whether they play another sport, etc. I did find out that you're online at Star now as an extras actor. So can you reveal, have you actually been in anything? Should we be looking out for Paris Laurie closely in some movie or television show? Uh-huh. <laughs> when I was younger, I was in um, a few different ones, just as an extra down in Denmark. Um, but apart from that, probably just staff talent shows for now. I think I've definitely hung those boots up. <laughs> Who knows, though? We could see you maybe on Channel 7's AFLW coverage at some stage in the future. Let's look ahead to this Saturday, taking on Carlton at um, Princess Park. Uh, it's do or die, must win to get through to the grand final. What is the plan for the side? Uh, are you flying across Thursday or Friday? How's this being approached? Yeah, so we fly over um, Friday and then obviously game on um, Saturday. So it'll be pretty similar to what we did um, two weekends ago when we um, played Geelong. Um, yeah, pretty similar times and um, flights and whatnot. Um, so hopefully, and then yeah, hopefully we get the same result. It's a bit tricky coming into an elimination match like this, uh, not having played uh, Carlton. On the opposite side, Adelaide have already played Geelong and they'll obviously meet again on Sunday. Uh, How hard is it to come in, as much as your favourites, not having matched up previously with the Blues this season? Yeah, I think it means that, yeah, we may not know how we go against each other as of yet, but also um, I guess it, it can be an advantage as well because, they haven't played against us, so neither team really knows um, the ins and outs completely. All they can go off is um, what they viewed on television. So, yeah, definitely um, could be disadvantaged, but I think there's advantages to it as well. So we'll just take it as it comes, and um, we've done all right so far going up against every other team that we haven't played against before. So I think it'll be all right. And finally, Paris, I'll ask you the question like we ask every person we've interviewed that's been involved in the AFLW. What does it mean to you when someone says the title, Paris Laurie, AFLW footballer? Yeah, I think it's pretty exciting. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely a massive deal to me. But my biggest thing is just how exciting that is for girls to come and knowing that they can come through the pathway from day dot, they can be um, involved in footy programs and come through and do what they love. Like, there's no reason for any girls to have to hold off and um, not play the sports they want to or not do the things they want to do. So that's the most exciting thing for me. But, um, yeah, it, it still um, gives me goosebumps when um, I hear that. But, yeah, definitely just excited for the next generation coming through. Well, Paris, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best of luck this Saturday as you take on Carlton at Princess Park in the AFLW preliminary final. Thanks very much.
Now, on Sunday afternoon, it is a massive challenge for the Geelong Cats. They go to Adelaide Oval as the second place side from Conference B, taking on the top place side from Conference A, the 2017 AFLW Premiers, the Adelaide Crows. But there's a woman who's been to grand finals before and won a number of premierships. First of all, with Scoresby in the VWFL South East back in 2013. And then last year with Hawthorne in the VFLW grand final. We speak of the woman who our match analyst Julia Montesano nicknamed the George Foreman Grill. We speak of Julia Crockett Grills. Julia, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. First of all, I've got to ask the question, is finals fever in you? Are you feeling it coming into this preliminary final against Adelaide this Sunday? Yeah, I think it's finally sort of sinking in. Um, The weekend was a bit strange, sort of waiting on anticipation of results. Probably a rare occasion. Haven't really experienced that before. But yeah, settled in now and ready to go for the weekend. Let's flash back, shall we, uh, several days. The game against GWS didn't go the way as expected. You didn't come away with the four premiership points on that occasion. What was Hoodie trying to say to the team to try and keep things positive while at that moment fate was out of your hands? I think it was just sort of, you know, we've done what we all we could do. Probably we didn't get the result we wanted. Um, but just to sort of take in the experiences, as I said, it's a rare occasion and sort of ride the wave I guess we've got nothing to lose now so we can go out there firing and yeah give it a real hot crack. What was the plan on that Sunday as Brisbane played Collingwood to decide your fate did Hoodie just let everyone do their own individual thing or did you all gather together as a team? Uh, I think a few of the girls got together at the club and a few of the girls sort of uh, some of them live in Melbourne and some went to the game so everyone sort of did their own thing there was no official viewing of the game, but yeah, I sort of watched it with a few mates, so it was good. Now, whether from Paul or anyone in the leadership group, after your fate had been decided, did, for example, did a text go out or a call go out of, okay, everyone, focus, we're on, here comes finals? Yeah, Hickey sort of got around us a little bit, um, just sort of said, you know, the story's not over and yeah, we're still in it. And what has the first training session been like since you've come back knowing that you will be playing against Adelaide at Adelaide Oval? Are you sensing, I guess, everyone just racking it up another notch? Because a lot of people say with finals football, and you've had experience with that in the VWFL and VFLW, um, it's not it's not the same as any other home and away game. No, definitely not. Um, we have our first session training session for the week tonight, so I reckon everyone's going to be pretty up and about, but I'm pretty sure Adelaide have never played on Adelaide Oval either, so it's going to be a first experience for everyone. So that could play in our favour, who knows, but I'm very excited to get to play on that ground. Let's rewind back, shall we, many years to when you started playing your first footy. That was junior football back in Kyabram up in the Goulburn Valley. You played with St. Augustine. You were playing with the boys back then. How did you go against the boys at that stage? Because we've read of so many uh, women's footballers actually dominating in the boys' competitions they played with back in their junior days. Yeah, it was definitely fun. Um, I think maybe in some way it could have been a blessing sort of playing against the boys. You grew up as a bit of a tough nut. But, um, yeah, there's no women's competition, so played under 12s and then wasn't allowed to play footy after under 12s. So I sort of got into your netball, cricket, footy. I mean, uh, 
netball and yeah, cricket. But um, yeah, I think the boys playing with the boys was a good experience, to be honest. As you said, you had to leave footy aside during those teenage years, but you excelled in your cricket playing up in Kyabram. In fact, I believe at the age of 16, you went on a cricketing tour of England and Singapore. Yeah, I did. So I was lucky enough I'd been playing cricket representing uh, Victoria, under-15 level and under-18 level, and yeah, got the opportunity to head over to England for a trip um, so a few invitationals and then a few, yeah, in Singapore on the way back. Can you describe how you were like as a cricketer? I read that you were a medium quick. Were you someone that was handed the new rock early? Were you first changed or pushing into the wind? Yeah, it's definitely a bit of both. Um, it was either opening or probably your second on. Definitely had my fair share of pulling into the wind, much to no one's, uh, no one's like. But, yeah, took a few wickets and sort of the batter you put in when you need a few runs. My patience isn't great. (laughs) I was looking through my cricket and I discovered your best bowling figures were five for one. Can you talk us through that game? So that was uh, in Melbourne against Tasmania in a 2020 under-18 national comp, I believe. And, um, yeah, included a hat-trick. The one run was a wide on my behalf. So, <laughs> four overs, so, so. so, so you could say you didn't concede any off the bat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's rare, would that be? Would you be the first ever player, quite possibly? I mean, I haven't dug into, for example, Emma Carney's uh, uh, bowling records, but could you be the first yeah. ever AFLW footballer with a hat trick to her name? Um, yeah, I'm not too sure to be honest. Lamb chops might have one, Kirsty Lamb. Yeah, indeed. We'll have to go searching through the um, searching yeah. through the archives for that one. You actually played um, in Melbourne your time at the Box Hill Cricket Club, and you also would end up playing with uh, Box Hill Hawks, which would then become yeah. Hawthorne Hawks. So you'd you'd spend many a year at Box Hill City Oval. Yeah, so I loved playing cricket at Box Hill City Oval. It's such a big ground compared to any others that you play on. Um, and then, yeah, when I got to start playing footy there, I was absolutely stoked. Sort of, you've got all your cricket memorabilia up in the rooms, and it's just sort of a reminder of, you know, your teammates and whatnot. And then to bring that across into the footy, I loved it, to be honest. It was amazing. So, definitely a bigger ground than other grounds in footy as well. Now, don't tell me you've gone up to any of your footy teammates and just pointed to the wall going, yeah, that, that's me in that uh, premiership <laughs> there in 2014 15. No, to be honest, someone else has found it because I made a duck that day, so there's stuck on the results on the wall. But yeah, the coach coach managed to point that one out. At Box Hill City Oval, playing cricket and playing football, you've played under two legendary Megs. Meg Lanning, not only captain of Box Hill, but of course captain of the Australian women's cricket team, and Meg Hutchins, of course, VWFL, VFLW legend. Can you explain what it's like to play under the two Megs? Meg Lanning is sort of on her own little uh, planet. She is just outstanding as a captain and coach. Um, Just the, the knowledge she brings to the game, and it's just like a step above everyone else. And Hutch is much the same in that way. She's been playing cricket uh, footy for years and just sort of the encouragement she has for you and the love for the game just sort of inspires you on both both sporting fields. 
I looked through the My Cricket records and it said your last um, cricketing uh, game was that uh, grand final in 2015. Was it at that point in your career that uh, you were just having to make that decision between cricket or football? Um, I actually got a bit of an injury. Um, I had two bulging discs in my lower back. So since that's happened, I haven't really played cricket again. Um, sort of bad timing because footy taken off at the same time. But, yeah, I, I do miss it. But it wasn't really by choice that I stopped playing. But, yeah. Around the age of 18, you end up playing with Scoresby Magpies in the VWFL competition in the Southeast Division. Who got you down to Scoresby? Uh, There's a few girls from cricket, actually. Um, they played cricket and then they said, I play footy here, why don't you come over? And I was fresh 18 and just moved to Melbourne, so I was sort of going to go to where I knew, knew a few mates and that sort of started off the footy career, I guess. What year it was at Scoresby? You played in a flag that year in the South East Division, winning the 2013 Premiership. And in that same Scoresby team, you would have three future AFLW footballers, Carlton Ruck, Alison Downey, Collingwood midfielder Melissa Kyes, and at the same time, a woman who ended up playing with uh, the Western Bulldogs in Kim Ebb. Yeah, uh, it's quite funny that. Um, even Mel and Kim Ebb, they both were in the premiership side last year for the Hawks. So that was pretty cool. We could do another one together. And yeah, just sort of seeing there was always a bit of talent in that Scoresby team, and it just sort of goes to show that we yeah, deserved that win that year. But it's always fun playing against them now on the field, looking back at those years. Did you find 2016 to be a frustrating year? I point that out as in the year before 2015, Knox had finished runners-up in the grand final. Um, you were playing at Knox at that stage. The team got promoted to the VFLW competition, one of the original 10 teams. You only played one game. You had an injury at that stage. Knox was being beaten easily on the field. You hadn't been taken in the AFLW draft. Were you pondering where life was at that stage? Yeah, I just sort of thought I'd never really had a chance, I guess. Um, sort of keeps you motivated. And as I said, moving to Melbourne, your footy mates and or your cricket mates are sort of the mates and the family you have around you. So I was always going to be around the club and not leave the club or anything and just sort of stay persistent and thought, you know, if you keep sticking at it, you'll get a crack one day. And yeah, so the told you long experience has been amazing. You got to Geelong after being recruited out of uh, the Box Hill Hawks and Hawthorne. Uh, Coach Patrick Hill, everyone speaks highly of Paddy. What do you think he added to your game to get you up to AFLW standard and to be eventually drafted by Geelong? Um, he's good. He's full of, uh, full of footy knowledge. Um, probably, yeah, one of the better coaches I've had since playing footy. Um, He's just become so emotionally invested in each player and he's only there to sort of get the best out of everyone and he would go out of his way to, you know, help you on your journey in any way possible. Very passionate about women, uh, not only just in sport, but, you know, in every everyday life. And, yeah, no, he's been amazing. We talk of the Geelong Football Club and how it's picked players from left, right and centre to add to the current Geelong VFLW talent that they already had. Several players have moved, one of them being, of course, Phoebe McWilliams, who uh, moved out of her Elwood home to move down to Geelong. Did you relocate as well? 
Yeah, so me and Phoebe live together at the moment. We moved down to Geelong together. So that's been a bit of barrel of laughs, I guess. We actually have reports in that uh, Phoebe unfortunately did break her left hand. So uh, are you having to play nurse around the household at the moment and uh, help Phoebe out? Yeah, so she's getting surgery tomorrow. Um, might have to do a bit of cooking and cleaning this week, I think, for for Phoebe. But, um, yeah, it's obviously very disappointing news and not the best news you want around the household. But, yeah, no, she's a great chick and she'll, she'll bounce back easily, yeah. You played alongside her at um, Hawthorne uh, last year. So what have you been able to glean from her as much as knowledge? Because Phoebe's has been around for a decade or more in Victorian women's football. Yeah, she's been amazing. Um, Quite inspirational, just the way she attacks the ball. I've tried to get tips off her, sort of very different players, but if I can sort of learn her leading patterns, hit her up and crumb at her feet and what not, but yeah, definitely not getting her way because that's the big four job. Can you describe Melissa Hickey as the captain? Everyone knows of Mel Hickey as the fearsome player. Most of us knew her originally as a centre-half back. She'd end up moving more into the midfield at Melbourne. A fierce, tough player out in the football field. What is she like as a captain behind the scenes? Yeah, she's quite inspirational really. Um, She's obviously had her injury woes and sort of similar, you know, you just sort of, you can sort of be on the same page with that and the way that she's driven the club and driven the team and been so welcoming to all the new players and there's a lot of young girls in the team as well, fresh 18 and she really gets around those girls as well and yeah, she's quite an amazing, quite an amazing player and yeah, off the field just as much. As you mentioned, you've got quite a number of younger players, for example, Nina Morrison and Olivia Purcell. Being at the age of 24, do you see yourself as the more senior player and leadership material, or do you still see yourself as the younger player still learning the game? Uh, I reckon still a bit of a younger player. There's such a mix in our team, a lot of older girls, and then there's a lot of younger girls and a few floating around in the middle. Um, So, yeah, I think it's important to sort of Still be close with those younger girls, but try and take on any knowledge you can from the older girls and sort of learn, sort of leading the way and whatnot. And yeah, I reckon floating in the middle. Now, you took on the Adelaide Crows previously over in Adelaide, albeit not at Adelaide Oval, at Norwood. Uh, you would end up losing that game, but he actually recorded your highest score for the year in that game, being six goals, one. Can you recall back to a month ago when you played them and some of the positives that Paul Hood took out of that that you could possibly use this Sunday against the Crows? Yeah, I think just better execution of getting the ball into the forward line, better forward entries do turn into goals. And that game, I think, was a perfect example of that. Um, if we can sort of replicate some better forward entries um, and sort of yeah rely on the small forwards, big forwards to do their job, think will do do well just before we let you go we've got two last questions we've been given some good advice that you're actually pretty keen on the fishing (laughs) yeah i do like fishing what's your favorite spot Uh, is it more up in the goulburn valley and uh, what would see you typically catching on the rod um so i love this spot up uh, near my dad's place up in the alpine region lake william hovel do a bit of fishing up there and in the King River. Um, since moving to Geelong, I'll be honest, I haven't caught anything. 
Um, in Port Arlington a little bit, but yeah, I need to improve on that game, I think. And one last question, Julia, before we let you go, and we ask that of of every uh, women's footballer that we, we speak of that is playing in the AFLW, what comes to mind when people say to you the title, Julia Crockett Grills, AFLW footballer? I think it's just, yeah, to be proud and proud of, you know, you know your family's proud of you and it's an honour, to be honest, and just to... Just the look that you see in the little kids' eyes, they start to look up to you and it's quite an amazing experience to sort of let that sink in and, yeah, you know, you're out there doing it. It's an actual thing now, so. Well, Julia, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival and we wish you all the very best this Sunday when you go up to Adelaide Oval to take on the Crows for a spot in the 2019 AFLW Grand Final. Cheers. Thank you very much. You may recall in September last year, we did a Crosscoders special. We were chatting to 17 of the 18 women who were taking part in the Crosscoders program. They came from Ireland, the USA, Canada, France and numerous other countries trying to make their way into the AFL women's competition. The first woman to be signed out of that Crosscoders program was Irish woman Ailish Considine. She was signed up as a rookie by the Adelaide Crows and what an impact she would have. In fact, in the Final round against Melbourne should kick two goals, one, and their stunning 10-goal victory. And it looks like she'll be pulling on the Crows jumper in a preliminary final this Sunday afternoon against the Geelong Cats at Adelaide Oval. It's great to have on the line Ailish Considine. Ailish, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on the line. And can you believe it? Since September, how long's passed? Six months. And here you are about to play in an AFLW preliminary final. I know it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, I definitely couldn't have even imagined that this is where the season was going to go or this is how it was going to go for me personally because, to be honest, even when I signed, I really didn't expect to play too much game time, if any at all. So the fact that I even am in contention with playing at the weekend is just, yeah, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Let's rewind back in time to September. When we last chatted to you, it was a Tuesday out at Caroline Springs. What were your thoughts going into playing your first game of Aussie rules on Australian soil? You were taking on this VWFL All-Stars team at Sandringham. Yeah, um, I guess I was pretty nervous because I'd never actually played a full game before. and um, like I knew that there was, there was teams there watching, like the Coles were there a few other AFW teams so yeah it was a little bit nerve-wracking at the time and I guess I kind of just went out there and tried to do as much as I could um, and try and look as good as I could on the field and stuff so it was yeah it was a nerve-wracking time but um, yeah no really really fun. I remember after that game Western Bulldogs coach Paul Groves came into the change room, spoke to the players and said that the side you had beaten uh, gathered 30 or 40 players that were looking at possibly recruiting out of Victoria and you'd just beaten this side by six goals. After he'd left and yeah. all, all you were piling back on the bus to go back to your hotel, what was said amongst the women at that stage in your team about not only the victory you had but the quite comfortable victory you had? Yeah, I guess it was just... Um a little bit of shock, really, because we, we really didn't expect to do as well as we did, um, you know, against girls that had played the sport for, for quite a while and we're looking to be drafted by the top teams. So the fact that we actually um, 
won that game was a huge surprise and I kind of um, probably made it a little bit easier on ourselves in, in the fact that you know, it kind of gave us a little bit of belief that maybe we actually could do this and if any of us did manage to get a, a contract or whatever that, you know, it's, it's not that, we're not that far away and it, we could possibly, you know, make an impact on the team or get drafted. So I think it kind of gave a lot of girls confidence um, to actually just, yeah, um, that we might actually make it. So yeah, that was, that was a good thing about it. It seemed like a whirlwind 24 to 48 hours since then that you would end up being signed by the Adelaide Crows. When did the first contact come from the Crows that they were interested in you and would like you to put pen to paper? Yeah, I think it was that Sunday when they came and kind of gave us a presentation on what they were about and what they were and stuff. And, and then they kind of they kind of picked out a few girls that they wanted to have a chat with. And I was, I was looking up to one of them. And we had that chat on Sunday, and then we had the chat on Monday again. So it was, um, yeah. And then obviously after after the game, the following day, um, we were in contact again. So um, yeah, it's, it, the whole thing was an absolute whirlwind. Like it was a roller coaster. Um, it just yeah, everything kind of just jumbled into one at that stage because it was just yeah, couldn't couldn't believe it when couldn't believe it. I was even one of the ones they wanted to have a chat to last talk about when they actually offered a contract. So it was yeah. Amazing to you. From your own personal point of view, what did you say to the Crows? How did you present yourself that you would be the ideal recruit for them? Um, there was never actually a moment where I had to really sell myself. To be fair, that they made the, the conversations very easy and they kind of just wanted to know about you personally. So it was very easy, easy chat. Like they were just getting to know you as a person and your background and what you've done so far and that kind of thing. So... Um, they kind of seen what they wanted on on the field and through the, the clips and footage that had been sent on. So I think they kind of just wanted to get to know the type of person that you were and your personality. And um, so that kind of that obviously put the girls at ease and stuff because you know you're not trying you're not trying to fill yourself like you were in an interview. I think they kind of had their research done and they were happy with what they saw. And I think they just wanted to try and find someone that would best fit the club. So can you explain the time frame after you've put pen to paper of what happened in that space of a month and a half before you finally came to Adelaide and, and settled yourself here in Australia? Yeah, so um, it was the Wednesday I signed the contract and then flew out to Adelaide on the Thursday um, and they kind of just had a quick tour around the place and just so I'd know where I was coming out to. Um, and then after the cross code program, when it was when it was over, we flew back home and for that month, um, I was sent on the preseason program and basically just did that while I was at home um, in very different conditions to what I was going out there because we had just gone into our winter at home so it was very very different um, but yeah I just I worked away at the at the program and tried to get in as much ball skills as I could while I was at home so that when I came out here I wasn't completely um, <laughs> uh, raw we'll say with the skills so um yeah, so that month at home really flew by and I was, I, I suppose, tying up some loose ends and trying to sort out what I need to bring and, and how I could move my life over to the other side of the world. How difficult is it in that month knowing that you're coming to Australia? Uh, I'm guessing some sleepless nights that you just want to get there and, and get on with it? Yeah, um, I guess so, but to be fair, the, the club made it so easy. Like they, they actually organised everything for me, like, between visas and accommodation so I really hadn't much to worry about they kind of they really got behind me straight away and 
I really had nothing to worry about. All I had to do was pack my rooms and fly, and that was it. So they made the transition very, very easy. Um, and yeah, and they, they still have, they've been so good to me since I've come over, and like, they just made me feel so welcome. So um, it doesn't even feel like I'm thousands of miles away from home because it's, you know, it's like a second home over here where they've, they've um, treated me. So yeah. And how did it feel not only spending your first summer in Australia, but now going up uh, in intensity with what is uh, AFLW training, which is at least four days a week, uh, with some pretty talented athletes, of course, one of them being the superstar that is Erin Phillips? Yeah. Um, yeah, like the training just has been unbelievable. Like I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, it's, you know, it's exactly what I've wanted the amateur sport back home, really football to be, you know, you, you want it to be so professional. And everything that's here is just, you know, the, the training load is perfect. Like everything is monitored. It's, yeah, it's just absolutely. And you learn so much off the girls and, you know, you get daily inspiration from them, like, of, you know, their stories and the way that they play and how they've transformed in the last couple of years and how much they've improved. So, yeah, just learning system for everyone on the team. And anytime anyone says anything to me, I just literally, I'm like a sponge. I try to pick it up as quick as I can. And, and learn more and more. So, yeah, like the girls have been great for that. And, like, yeah, I'm learning as much as I can off Erin. Like, obviously, she's, she's absolutely an amazing player and person. So, um, yeah, it's great to have people like that on, on your team. Besides the four days a week that you do as a squatter's training, have they added any extra training on top for you to obviously uh, help along with the skills that you need, to, obviously, to Australian rules football compared to Gaelic? Yeah, I've I've been coming in the next two or three days a week between doing video analysis or, you know, learning gameplay and then other days I'll be coming in just doing a bit of kicking with Phil Harper and a few of the girls and some, some of the coaches. So yeah, I've I've been doing as much as I can to to you know, try and catch up to the to the girls' school level. Um so yeah, but it, that's that's something that I've just I'm willing to do and wanted to do from day one and so grateful that they actually gave me the opportunity to to do the extra time and extra work. So um, hopefully paying off the the kick is getting a little bit better. So um, it's not as as hook kick as the Gaelic fo- football kick. So it must be improving a little bit. <laughs> How was the news broken to you that you'd be playing in round one, debuting at Norwood Oval in front of a packed crowd up against the reigning premiers, the Western Bulldogs? Um, it was actually done in a team setting, so we weren't told individually whether or not we were playing. Um, everyone was on the same page, and everyone found out together whether or not we were playing or not. So it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a very nerve-wracking week because we didn't find out till the Thursday because that's when the team was announced. So we had training Tuesday and Thursday, and we didn't find out till till the end of the week. Um, so yeah, I was, I had a very nervous week that week, um, just because I felt I had. You know, put a lot of work in, and but wasn't sure, and wasn't sure if I was close to making it or not. So it was just, yeah. But um, when the team was actually named, I was just in absolute disbelief. I couldn't, just, yeah. It was, it was an amazing feeling, um, knowing that I was actually going to put on that jersey for the first time and step out and play against Bulldogs. So, yeah. What are your memories of running through the the race for the first time to run out onto Norwood Oval wearing that jumper? Oh, it was just just taking the crowd and the atmosphere, and just getting to wear that guernsey for the first time with the the tricolor. Like it's 
it was just a special moment and obviously it was a it was a quite hot day as well that day so that was obviously one thing that came into mind as well. It just hit you yeah, as soon as you, you ran out. But um yeah, run to the banner, run alongside the girls. It was just yeah, by far one of the best memories I'll I'll have of a sporting show. Let's fast forward a bit. Uh, you weren't in the squad for round six, but you're back in, in round seven, the mm-hmm. final round taking on Melbourne. What's it like yeah. going out there? You're on the road. You're playing at Casey Fields. At that stage, you're top of the table, but you had to win that game to make sure your spot was there in the finals. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we just kind of prepared as, as we had every other week. Um, you know, just focused on ourselves, focused on our game, game plan and, and just getting a good performance, and we knew Melbourne were we knew Melbourne were going to bring heat because they were playing for for everything as well. So you know we were we were expecting a big game from from them. And I think we just like it was it was a tough game, and like they we were pretty even in terms of like the contest and stuff. But we were just a little bit more efficient up front and our back tell the that. So um, yeah, it was a um, big game, and you know we were looking for. You would end up winning quite comfortably that match, including yourself kicking two goals. Did it feel a bit of a relief, perhaps, maybe a monkey off the back that you finally got onto the scoreboard, just heading into the business part of the season? Yeah, it was. To be fair. Um, I think I probably had put a little bit of pressure on myself to score um, a goal and had done with a while, and I think it was probably affecting me. But um, I think I just took the pressure off the last two weeks and just said, um, whatever happens, happens. I was just fortunate enough to be in the right place the right time for the for the ball to um, go in. So um, yeah, a bit of relief, but at the end of the day, it's all about the results and how we did as a team. So yeah, happy with the results and happy that yeah, the monkeys off the back, I guess. Interested in your thoughts on another one of your cross-coders. Uh, Ailish McCarthy, of course, is at the Western Bulldogs. Um, she managed to kick a goal on St. Patrick's Day and celebrated with a bit of a jig. <laughs> what was your thoughts on her river dance performance? <laughs> uh, you know, she was good at St. Patrick's Day. She's good for Ireland. Um, I, was, I was actually delighted that she did. She scored a great goal and... Yeah, it was it was great to see um, the Irish um, in force this weekend, and yeah, with, with great celebration, great celebration on St Patrick's Day. Uh, for yourself personally, how did you celebrate St Patrick's Day? Um, I actually didn't do too much because we flew in quite late, so Sunday was kind of just a recovery day really for us. Um, it was one of the girls' thirtieth birthday, so most of us headed over to that. Um, Mariana Radvik. Um, which was her 30th, so we went to that. But um, St. Patrick's Day Parade was actually on a week early here. Uh, it was on last Saturday, so I was looking up to be part of that parade and got my, my St. Patrick's Day fix um, that weekend. So that was that was nice. It was nice to see the amount of Irish that I actually hear that is because I, I really didn't think there was that many because um, generally most Irish people my age would, would go to Sydney or Perth or Melbourne. So... It was nice to meet up with Irish team and, and um, yeah, be part of the celebration last weekend. So, yeah, that was nice. Uh, talking about the Irish, as we said, McCarthy at the Bulldogs, Bonner at the GWS Giants, who was signed uh, literally hours after you were signed by the Crows. Yeah. We know that Curly's come across because she's going to be playing in Victoria. Um, from the original group of crossgoers, particularly the Irish one, have you all actually kept in contact since that uh, training camp in September? 
And um, yeah, a couple of the times I, I would have known Ash Masecki pretty well anyway because I, I played college football with her back home. Um, we went to the same university and stuff, so I would have known her pretty well. And yeah, I, I managed to meet Yvonne after the CWS game, and yeah, we we'd get we'd be in contact every now and again with some of those girls as well. So yeah, it's, it's a great way to actually, you know, um, get to know girls and you know if you know if you're ever in Melbourne or wherever in Adelaide, you know, it's a connection that you have and that you can use. Um, so yeah, it's it's great to have Irish around here because we're we're a very welcoming nation and when you know someone is around, we'll go say hello. And I remember chatting to you back in September at the Crossgoders camp, and I asked you what was the ideal city you'd like to go to. Back then, you actually mentioned Sydney because it's a tourist capital, and you wanted to head there. But you said you were happy to go anywhere. How have you found Adelaide as your home city? Um, it's probably the best city I've ever made, to be honest, because uh, it's just a really nice place. Like it's perfect size. Like it's a city. It's not crazy busy like I can imagine Sydney would be, and. You know, it's just a, it's a really good sized place. Everything there's nothing too far away, um, which makes it really good, you know, to get to know the girls and get to know the area and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a really nice place. There's just these things and everything that you need in one place. So, yeah, and it was it was a great experience. I'm very happy. It was amazing. I think. You, of course, did play a little bit of Aussie rules back in Ireland before playing AFLW with the West Clare Waves, and that means your connection there with Michael Curran, who's uh, heading up the Irish Banshees. Are you tempted to uh, run out and wear the Banshees jumper at IC 2020 in Melbourne? Uh, yeah, of course. You, you know, you always want to represent your country, no matter no matter what it, what it's in, it's just a privilege. So, um, yeah, if, if, if it works out with seasons and wherever I'm at in the world at that stage, yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Yeah. What's the plan for you next, post, obviously, AFLW finals and perhaps maybe in a week and a half time taking home a premiership flag with the Adelaide Crows? Uh, is your plan to fly back home to Ireland uh, for your summer over there or are you looking to, in fact, uh, stay through the Australian winter? Um, I'll probably stay for a month or so after. I probably won't go home straight away just because we have a few functions and stuff on straight after season. Um, so... I don't really have too many plans yet. Um, a lot will depend on what's what's happening next year and that kind of thing. And I'm really not looking too far forward to any of that yet. Um, but yeah, I will be home at some stage, um, obviously because my visa will be up, so I, I'll have to leave the country. Uh, yeah, I will. There's no real plans yet, but I'll be home some stage during the summer. And finally, like I ask everyone that plays in the AFLW that we have on the program, how does it feel to you when someone says the title Eilish Considine, AFLW footballer? Um, it's big, it's big it's every time I feel actually can't believe <laughs> that it's um that it's a reality because, you know, my dream is always to play sport or have sports as much part of my life as I could and you know, she a professional sports person at this stage is absolutely dream come true. So yeah, it's it's still it's really good to know. Well, Alice, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best this Sunday as you take on the Geelong Cats in the preliminary final. And who knows, perhaps a grand final berth awaits you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. 
It's time to take a look back at round four of the Sandfell Women's Competition and joining us on the line to dissect everything from the Two Crows podcast, it's Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? I could not be more fabulous if you put a capital F on it, Peter. What a day and week and month and year to be involved in football. I think you could be more fabulous probably Sunday <laughs> at Adelaide Oval when your Crows take on the Cats in a preliminary final. Oh, what a dream come true for the girls to play at Adelaide Oval. Um, cannot wait. We'll be there with, I don't know how many bells I can put on myself, but that's what I'll be doing there. Being there with bells on, what a great game. And of course, uh, Ali, the reason why we do have you on the line is to have a look back at round four of the Sandford Women's Competition. So we um, we had it all this weekend. We had one-point thrillers. We had an upset. We had a team that didn't win a game move off, off the bottom of the ladder. And we have a new ladder leader. Well, let's have a look at the first game here. Norwood, a comfortable victory over the Woodville West Torrent Eagles, uh, 5-12-42 to 2-2-14. Yeah, 28-point winner by the uh, Redlegs. And um, as we know, in a small competition lot with eight teams, percentage is queen. So the Redlegs did all the damage with a massive first quarter, kicking 4-1 to to a solitary point, and were never headed from there. Had it not been for wayward kicking, where they put on 12 points, this would have been an even bigger blowout. The only stats that the Eagles were able to win were the tackles and the rebound 50, with Norwood leading the rest. There were all individual goal kickers for the Redlegs, with Dunn, Greer, Hill, Hollick and Zarella chipping in, with Farrier and Perkins scoring the majors for the Eagles. For the Redlegs, just of note here, former GWS players Allen and Dunn combined for a massive 49 disposals between them. Norwood top disposal getters, we had Allen on 29, Priest on 22, Dunn on 20, Bush and Hollick on 17. Uh, for the Eagles, we top five, we had Zasevich on 17, Lee on 14, Walker on 13, Farrier, Perkins and Tab on 10 apiece. This win now takes the red legs up to top spot on the ladder and the Eagles, sadly, are languishing in eighth spot. The reigning Premier South Adelaide 5-9-39 defeated North Adelaide 6-2-38. Ooh, Houdini lives. That's all I can add for this one. The Roosters were sitting on top of the fence, crowing and burst out of the um, burst out of the gates for a four-one to zero point zero against the Panthers in the first quarter. The Panthers were caught napping, and they were actually still behind when the three-quarter time siren sounded, with three-six to five-two on the board. The Panthers were able to hold North Adelaide to one solitary goal in the final, while putting on two goals, three for themselves. And with that final goal, believe it or not, coming with just five seconds on the clock, where Nicole Campbell covered herself in glory and then very shortly after, most of her Panther teammates take home a massive win. For goals for South, we had Brown, Campbell, Kirk, Tahu, Walker, Murphy. For North, Baltrop kicked in with two, Castle, Davies, Sampson and Nuns with singles. The top five disposal getters for South, we had Gore on 24, obviously Boyd. Um, by making the women's team, and she's pressing her case to get into a prelim final. Kavoris on 17, Munyard 16, and McKinnon, Campbell, Charlton, who was the uh, round three Powerade Breakthrough Player nominee, uh, on 14, and Hammond on 13. Top five disposals for North, we had Ward, Lug, Ellis on 15 apiece, Von Berto 14, Tynan 12, and Daniel on 11. North Adelaide, I think, will be pretty much kicking themselves for not getting this win over the reigning premium, with the Panthers keeping their third spot and North staying sixth spot on the ladder. 
West Adelaide, 2-1-13, knocked off Glenelg, three behinds. Yeah, I mentioned that this one could be an upset, and um, but even I couldn't have predicted the former ladder leaders only managing three solitary points for the entire game. The first quarters from both sides was a game of defence, where Glenelg had their only lead for the day, kicking one point to zero by the end of the first quarter. Westies took it from there to come away with the win. The goals for West were from Mason and Smith. Their top five disposal getters um, were Owen on 21, Ballard 17, Newman 16, Redato on 12 with Mason and Stupos on 10. The top five disposal for Glenelg, round two Powerade breakthrough player nominee Caitlin Gould topped the charts there with 14. Armitage, Bellinger, Franson, Freeman and Packer all on 11. Westies keeping their final hopes alive, sitting on fourth in the ladder. And Glenelg might be doing a little bit of goal kicking, slipping to second. And finally, Central District 5 8 38 defeated Sturt 3 4 22. Yeah, the bullies getting up there by 16. Now, this game did go more or less according to script, script uh, giving Centrals their second win in a row, and we're actually out to a 33 point lead at a game high there. But there was actually a massive charge in the final quarter from Double Blues, kicking three goals straight to Central's one point, which I'm really hopeful will give them the Blues some momentum going into next week. Uh, the goals for Central is Rosenswein for two. Just Centenary, a name you may recall, being a Crows player who'd been out with a Liz Frank injury. And she's doing her best to push for a spot in there, kicking a goal, along with Reynolds and Jensen. Uh, the goals for Sturt come from Swanson, Harris and Trenorden. Top five disposals for Centrals. Jess Sedgener again pushing their case there with 17. Sonneman 16. Hun and Solly on 14. And Teague on 12. Top five disposals for Sturt were Hoyle on 23. Swanson and Bevan on 21. Griffith 13. And Krenzler on 11. In a strange twist to this game, Centrals won, maintained their fifth spot on the ladder with the win. But Sturt, with the loss, actually moved up off the bottom of the ladder. Um, while the Eagles have been relegated to eighth spot. Time to get your tips for round five. We begin with a triple header at Cooper Stadium, Norwood Oval. Saturday, 23rd of March, we begin at 12 o'clock, Sturt versus Glenelg. Yeah, so will the Tigers here bounce back? Will Sturt keep their momentum? Tigers will need their kicking boots on as the double blues need to get on with it. They're playing at a neutral ground, but I think Glenelg should take the win. But there's a part of me that would really love to see Sturt come over over the top and win in a huge upset. 1.45pm, Norwood play host to West Adelaide. Yeah, absolute cracker of a game this one should be. Will the home ground advantage give the ladder leaders the edge? Or will the Bloods, who are only one win behind the legs, gain equal footing? But I'll back the home team here. Red legs for me. 3.30pm at Norwood Oval, Central District host North Adelaide. Yeah, huge game. Absolutely huge game. The Bulldogs off a great win and the Roosters being stung by that one-point loss to the Panthers. This should be an absolutely amazing game, but I'm going to pick Roosters' revenge. And finally, the standalone game at Flinders University Stadium, Saturday at 4.15pm, South Adelaide play host to Woodville West Torrens. Yeah, boy, boy, their one-point win. I fully expect the Panthers to pluck the Eagles bare at home in what could be a quite a good percentage boost at the South. I'll put this as my lock of the round, and Panthers will come out on top.
Well, Ali, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. People, of course, can find you at the Two Crows podcast. And we look forward to catching up with you next week as we look back at round five of Sanford Women's Action. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me, Peter. And finally, it's time for everyone's favourite segment, Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death, where we're joined by the legend of Sydney women's football, played 250-plus games, played and coached premierships, and, of course, now she's at the Eastern Rangers as an assistant coach there. We speak of Lisa Kiwi-Roper. Coach Kiwi, how are you? Superb. I don't know whether to cry or cheer right now. I know why. I know why, and I'm going to leave that to the very end. So let's just go in reverse order this week for round seven and let's see how you are going to try and get five out of five. Let's start with the first one. The last game that was played was the Pride game. I believe you were in attendance for that one at Witten Oval where the Doggies came back late but couldn't finish the job. The Blues would hang on to win by three points. You tipped the Blues and you're on the money there. Yeah, it was, um, oh, look, you know, the Blues did look very strong from the beginning. And um, you're right, Bulldogs came back in and the crowd got excited. It was almost like they were just sitting there getting a suntan and then all of a sudden they woke up and um, were a bit more vocal. And dear old Sue Alberti up in that grandstand I call the Sue Alberti box, she was on the edge of her seat for a while and making a bit of noise, but it just wasn't to be, I'm afraid. Go the Blues. Well, we know Geelong were locked into the finals after the result that happened on the early Sunday game. Cunningwood versus the Brisbane Lions. You said in your tips that it'll be the Pies' only win of the year, and you were bang on. They survived a Lions, I guess you'd say, peppering at goal for no result. The Magpies win by six points. Yeah, I still cannot tell you that I supported the Pies, but I'm very glad that they went out with a win and definitely saved a down trail, which is customary for all football teams. You don't win during the season. Um, but you're good for those girls. And, you know, Sarah Rowe, I think the more they've pushed her up towards the forward line, the much more exciting she's been and contributing to them and um, got a rip of gold in the weekend. So, luck to the Irish. So, on Saturday... At Fremantle Oval, it was the Dockers and the Kangaroos, both sides at that stage with a 5-1 and one record, but the loser would miss out on the finals due to this conference system. It would be the Dockers, courtesy of their home ground advantage. They'll put the pedal to the medal, 17 scoring shots to 5 in the end, 52-25 to 25 winners over the Roos. Oh, how good are they looking? They're... Um... They've come to it right at the right time of the year. You know, they've been pretty solid early on and then just continue to bang in lots of goals. And, um, yeah, the Roos just – the Roos looked like they were just a bit out of sorts. They couldn't get into their own rhythm and um, just never really um, were able to sort of counter what Frio was bringing to them. And you tip, it was exciting to watch. And you tipped the Dockers for that one. The early Saturday game, you were um and an ahhing, um and an ahhing, which way you were going to go. In the end, you went with the Crows and they won by a lazy 60 points over the Ds. Yeah, I did not expect it to be that margin by any regard, but um, boy, oh boy, aren't they on fire. Well, they are. We spoke to Ailish Considine earlier in the program who actually kicked her first two goals of the season in that match. Erin Phillips, again, just carving a sway. Ebony Marinoff doing fantastic for them. The names just go on and on there at the Crows. And the frightening thing is, who can knock them off? Well, you know, and that's the thing. I think they're not relying on just one or two people. They've got a 
whole host of players that are really contributing to their overall results. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see Ayla. She was the first one signed out of the Crosscoders program. Um, and um, I'm just excited for her to be getting the goals. And, you know, she, she, she was in the right position. And so she's really getting a good read of the game. And um, it's exciting. It's very exciting to see the Irish girls developing at Alton Rule. So you were four from four. You're looking to try and go five from five for the first time this season. And on Friday night, your GWS Giants won by 31 points and you tipped the Cats. What are they going to say at the Giant Women's Say podcast? They're going to rip you to shreds. I'm, I'm hoping they may, it may be an oversight and they forget that. But the excitement of the Giants actually winning, they might forget my poor tipping for them. 6541 to 1410. Um, I, I guess, again, for the Giants, a, a good note to finish on. But for the Cats, that's a worrying sign. A loss and a low score. Phoebe McWilliams out with a broken left hand. Geez, they're not going into the finals in good form, to say the least. In fact, they're actually going into the finals with a losing record, a 3-4 and four record, getting that uh, second spot in Conference B. Yeah, you know, um, I think what we saw on Friday was a giant team playing to what we expected them to play like. You know, they had, um, they just seemed to be a bit more relaxed on the field and they just seemed to run better at the ball. Like they just ran with good numbers. Um, they got a lot more first use out of the um, ruck centre, you know. So I thought, you know, I just thought this is the Giants team we've been waiting all season to see. And um, I will give a shout-out to dear Carol Collier, who um, got me into the chairman's lounge. So I might have spent half the – well, not half the game. It's every gap in the game. So I was very merry in my cheering for the Giants throughout. Just one could say. And the bar tab itself was giant. So let's have a look at the preliminary finals. They really should actually be the semi-finals. Um, this Saturday, 23rd of March, is when the first one's being played, 2.45pm local time at Princess Park. Carlton hosting from Mantle. Um, Carlton, of course, having the shorter turnaround, but the home ground advantage, courtesy of finishing top of Conference B. Oh, you know, I think um, this is where all fans of football in Victoria say, Thank God for the conference. Because if it wasn't for the conferences, we wouldn't have a game in Melbourne this weekend. So that's why we'd be crying, I think. Um, but, you know, Carlton should go into this game with a lot of confidence. They've, you know, the last few games have been playing some really good football, scoring a bunch of goals. Um, three are strong. And I guess all they can hope for is that they can counter some of those speeches um, in the Frio team and, and um, score more than what they're scoring because, you know, Freo on the road, they've done pretty well when they've come over this side of the country. So um, I wouldn't write them off too easily. But, yeah, this is the game that Carlton, you know, if they ever had to step up for one game, it is this one. And your tip? Yeah, about that. Um, well, this is a hard one. Um, I'll Freo by 10. 
And it's interesting to note, as you said, because of the conference system, Carlton having that home ground advantage. If it was a traditional out of first and second, the Crows and Frio would be hosting finals. And for that matter, it would mean that no semi-final or grand final would be held in Victoria. So that's just something to keep back in your mind. Um, Sunday, 24th of March at Adelaide Oval. So this will not be a doubleheader with the men's game. They're holding it the next day. 1.10pm Eastern Time, 12.40pm local time. Uh, the Adelaide Crows playing host to the Cats. Adelaide over the venue. I'm interested, first of all, before you give me the tip on who will win and by how much, how big a crowd do you think they'll get there? I'm tipping probably in the vicinity of 13,000, 14,000. Yeah, I think um, they will get a good crowd. I think this may be part of the reason they couldn't do the double getter with the men because uh, from what I gather, the men's game sold out. So... You wouldn't want to be a fan of the female game and not be able to go because it's played at the same day and venue as the men. So I think this is great that they've separated it, they've kept the both, you know, separate separate events. So then those who want to support the men can go there and those who want to support the women. And for those in Adelaide who are fans of football, get two games in a weekend. It's fantastic. So let's get down to business. I think I know who you're going to tip. Who will win this one and by how much? They do say cats have nine lives. So this is round or kind of the eighth week. I'm sorry, it's a dead cat. The crows are going to squawk for the rest of the season. Crows by 30. Coach Kiwi, thank you very much for your tips and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. It's time to wrap up Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival for yet another week. Just a reminder, this program is available as a podcast by going to Google Podcasts, iTunes or SoundCloud and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can also find us on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash WARF radio or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash WARF Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.